This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here's our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. The Lord came to release those who were bound, prisoners. That's what he said when he stood up in the temple and he took the the book, and he found Isaiah 61.1, and he was speaking of himself when he said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because the Lord hath appointed me, anointed me, to preach good tidings unto the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of prison to them that are bound. That's what he came to do. Here he is. He's got two people here who are bound by Satan, When the Lord arrived, there were these two people and were told specifically in verse 28, there met him two possessed with devils coming out of the tombs. That's very important. They came out of the tombs. Why were they in the tombs? Maybe it was the only place for them to live as they were probably withdrew from society. But the tombs at that time, the Lord was buried in a tomb, a cave. So the tombs were artificial caves. They were built into the ground or into the side of a hill. And the fact that these two demon-possessed people wanted to be among the dead at the place of the tomb, it shows what Satan drives demon-possessed people to do. Gravitate toward death. Gravitate toward the dead. I mean, just think of it. The place of the tombs, we're talking about a cemetery. And each one of those tombs was like a gravestone. It marked a place. And if you look at that, you look at the cemetery there, and you see these tombs, Satan would look at that cemetery and look at it and say, wow, he would say, trophies of my power. Trophies of my power. We can imagine him. We can imagine the demon-possessed people love to be in the tombs. Satan loves to be among the tombs. Why? And we can imagine that if we were to go there and Satan would say, let me take you on a tour. I want to take you on a tour of the cemetery. And he would just go from one tombstone to another tombstone in his tour. And then he would stop over some tombstones and he would say, for example, ah, this one, this one. I managed to keep him occupied with making money all the time in his life. 
I kept him from seeking God until I was able to see him, watch him fall into hell to join me. And the devil would be so happy because this tactic that he accomplished, he would say, this was a drowning. This was a drowning because that's what it says in 1 Timothy 6, 9. 1 Timothy 6, 9. They that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. And then Satan would move on to the next tombstone. He would stop and he said, oh, let me show you this grave. This was the one I was able to have him have a confidence in his shallow commitment to God. Someone came to his door and told him that all he had to do was just pray a prayer. That's it. He received Christ kind of like getting a million dollars. And he was deceived into thinking that, that just repeating those words was like an eternal fire insurance to keep him out of hell. It was just a shallow prayer that he made and nothing else. But that was all it took for me to keep him calmed down away from God until he died and he fell into hell and joined me. And then Satan would come to another tombstone and we'd say, oh, I'm so anxious to show you this person, the grave of this person. I was able to keep her so worried and so anxious for all of her life and all the things she had to get done that it kept her so busy with these urgencies that she just felt she had no time for God all the way down to her last breath when she slipped into hell to join me. And then Satan could come to another tombstone. He says, oh, now this woman, I remember her well. At first, I convinced her that a little wine in the evening, it's good for you, just a little bit. You relax. And then I got her to, I need to increase my relaxation. I'll just substitute the wine for vodka, a little vodka. And then she was hooked and she was addicted and she drank herself dead. One day, she never woke up. She hemorrhaged inside to death from the alcohol. She was too drunk all the time to have any interest in God. Like a tsunami, this alcohol just swept her away into hell to be with me. And then Satan come to another grave and says, wait, you got to see this grave here. This is, the, this is the man I kept on a course of lust in life. I had him lusting after one woman after the other. One wasn't enough. He had to go to the next one. I had him lusting after one possession after another. I had him lusting after a higher and higher reputation. I had him lusting after greater personal prestige. There were just so many things that I kept dangling in front of him. It was unbelievable. And my work paid off as he was so distracted with all these lusts. He had no interest in God. He had no interest in God at all. And I kept putting one lust after another in front of him till finally death caught him, and he ended in hell to join me also. Then moving on to another grave marker, Satan could say, oh, this one, I convinced him to believe that he's never going to die. Other people die, but he's never going to die. So I had him keep on putting off making peace with God until I was able to run the clock out. And he was so surprised that his time had come to die, and I distracted him all the way to the very end until he was cast into hell to be with me. And moving on to another one, another great marker, Satan can boast. Oh, this one. He was kind of a scientific type. He was kind of an intellectual type. I convinced him there is no such thing as creation and God, that everything in nature just fell together over billions of years. And that, but what the Bible says about six days and less than 10,000 years ago, fairy tale. I got him to away from the Bible. I convinced him that the Bible is just full of myths. And I convinced him to be an atheist and that there is no judgment because there's no God. And I was able to get him to be cast into hell to join me. And then Satan would move on to another person, another grave. And with excitement, he would say, well, let me, let me tell you about this person. 
I convinced him to be legalistic in a religion of good works. I got him to believe that he was righteous because of all the good works that he did. I actually persuaded him to believe that with all his good works that God was obligated to let him into heaven. I kept his eyes on great sinners, and I swayed him to believe that God was going to judge on the curve and that he was much better than others. I kept him in that deception till there was no time left for him to repent and believe, and he was cast into hell. So when Satan would be going through the cemetery and go to these graves here, he's in a trophy gallery. He's walking through with pride. He's looking at the results of all his work to get people to populate the place of eternal torment and suffering because the Lord Jesus described hell that way when he said in Matthew 13, 42, Matthew 13, 42, cast them into a furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Hell is a place where all you hear in hell are the voices of people wailing from suffering. All you hear in hell is the sound of teeth grinding for anguish and anxiety and fear. It says in Revelation 21.8, Revelation 21.8, the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone is the second death. That's what hell is. It's a place of fire. As it says in Mark 9.43, in Mark 9.43, to go into hell, into the fire that never shall be quenched, where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. Twice, twice in those two verses, twice the Lord Jesus emphasizes that that fire doesn't go out. That fire doesn't burn out. You imagine we have forest fires. Sometimes the the fire department just says, uh, we can't fight it, just let it burn out. This is a fire that doesn't burn out. The fire is not quenched. The fire doesn't burn out. It's a place where there's no death to these gnawing, irritating worms. We can't even imagine. And the fact the fire in hell doesn't go out is emphasized in Jude 1.7. Jude 1.7, where it's called the vengeance of eternal fire. Hell is a place of eternal fire. Matthew 25, 41, the Lord said, it's everlasting fire that's prepared for the devil and his angels. Hell is a place that was never made for man. It was made for the devil and his angels. For a man to get to hell, he's got to fight his way in there. He's got to fight his way against every voice from God, which is saying to him, the good news is, repent, and you can be saved from your sins. You can go to heaven. You can be adopted. We just celebrated the Lord's Supper here. All that great blessing that we talked about in the Lord's Supper is what God is holding out to man, and man has to fight his way against that in a war of ignoring in order to get into hell because God's plan and desire is for all to be saved from hell through the gospel. He doesn't want to see one person in hell. It's a tragedy for God when a person turns away from the gospel and is cast into hell. But the devil wants to see every person in hell, and the devil works against God by getting people to ignore the gospel and ignore God till it's too late. And so he walks through the cemetery, the devil walks through the cemetery from grave to grave, and he shows off the trophies of his victories over God by the people he has gotten to defy God and to be cast into Satan's hell. Because that's what hell is. Hell is Satan's hell. It was never made for man. So these two demon-possessed people, they preferred to be among the dead in the trophy room, among the trophies of Satan's victory, rejoicing with Satan over the lives that he's gotten cast into hell. And that's why it's so significant that these two men in verse 28 coming out of the tombs, that's where Satan loves to be. Now, we're told 
that these two demon-possessed people, what they were doing when they were among the graves there, it says in Matthew 8, 28, verse 8, 28, they were exceeding fierce so that no man might pass by that way. No man was able to pass by that way. No man could go the way by the tombs here. Those demon-possessed people wanted to do, wanted to hurt people. Their goal was to hurt. They brought hurt on anyone who tried to walk on the road that went by those tombs. It was so bad, people couldn't walk it. They had to say, you can't go down there. You can't go down there. You can't go down there because you're going to get hurt. And that's a picture of what's happening today in our cities. That's a picture with, with all the maiming and the killing, the shooting that's happening in Chicago, that's happening in Washington, D.C., that's happening in New York City today. Satan is speaking to those killers and saying to them, harm others, harm others. Take that gun. Go get that gun. It's forbidden, but go get that gun. Take that gun. Pull the trigger. Feel the rush as you squeeze that trigger, trigger and you hear the pop. And Satan's saying to him, it's just a war game. It's nothing more than a war game. Drive by, shoot, shoot from a distance. Get the thrill of watching your victim crumple and fall to the ground. Those demon-possessed people not only hurt others in Matthew 8, they hurt themselves. It says in Mark 5.1, Mark 5.1, they came over onto the other side of the sea into the country of the Gadarenes, and when he was come out of the ship, immediately there met him a man of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit who had his dwelling among the tombs. No man could bind him, no, not with chains, because that he had been often bound with fetters and chains, and the chains were plucked asunder by him, and the fetters broken in pieces. Neither could any man tame him. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying and cutting himself with stones. I mean, I've met people who have told me, uh, I hear voices. They've said, I hear voices. I hear voices. I I hear voices. And then I always say to them, wait, don't tell me. Don't tell me. I will tell you what those voices are saying, because I know what those voices are saying to you. And I tell them, I said, those voices are saying to you, kill yourself. Kill yourself. And people say, how'd you know? How'd you know? Because that's what the devil speaks to man. The devil is speaking to those two that are living among the tombs there. Cut yourself. Cut yourself with rocks. When a person goes to the top of a very tall building or a tall bridge, where does that come from, that urge to jump? Just jump. Think of the thrill of the jump. I dare you to jump. That's from Satan. That's what his words are. And this is what we see here from this demon-possessed man that met the Lord when he landed on the boat, a person harming others and harming himself. And when the demons who were inside that, those two, saw the Lord Jesus, we read in verse 29, behold, they cried out, saying, what have we to do with thee, Jesus, thou son of God? Art thou come here to torment us before the time? So the response of the demons when they saw the Lord is, they cried out. The demons cried out. Why did they cry out? They saw their master. They saw the one who had the authority over them, power over them. They saw power. And the demons asked a question in verse 29. What have we to do with thee, Jesus, thou son of God? Even though those demons were enemies of God, they were forced to acknowledge that Jesus is the son of God, that Jesus is God the son, that Jesus is God when they said, Jesus, thou son of God. The devils know. They know that Jesus is God. 
Just like it says in the parallel passage in Mark 124, Mark 124, they said, saying, let us alone. What have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Art thou come to destroy us? I know who thou art, the Holy One of God. Their words were words of defiance when they said, let us alone. What have we to do with thee? Their words were, leave us alone. Why are you bothering us? Those words of, what have I to do with thee, are saying, what do I have to do with God? I have nothing to do with God. And in a sense, it's true. In a sense, it's true. The devils have nothing to do with Jesus. The demons have nothing to do with the Lord Jesus. Because first of all, when the Lord Jesus stooped to be the Savior, he was not made in the image of angels or the image of fallen angels, as it states in Hebrews 2.16, Hebrews 2.16. For verily he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. Second, when he died for sins, he only died for the sins of man. He did not die for the sins of fallen angels. As it says in 1 John 2, 1, 1 John 2, 1, my little children, these things write I unto you that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an ad- any man sin. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He's a propitiation for sins, not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world, the sins of the whole world of man. First John 1, uh, sorry, John 1, 29, John 1, 29. The next day, John seeth Jesus coming at him and saith, behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the sin of the world, the world of man he's talking about, sin of the world. He's the savior of the seen world of man. He's not the savior of the unseen realm of demons. I mean, what love of God that man has so much to do with God. What love of God. When you see the demon saying, what have I to do with thee? And then you think about what we can say. We have so much to do with you, God. What love of God that we have so much to do with God. But the demons did call him Lord. They did call him God. They did call him God. And James 2.19 says, Thou believest there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. Yes, the demons believe that Jesus is God but they still had nothing to do with him, which shows it's possible for a person to call Jesus God, believe as Jesus God, and have nothing to do with him, never having surrendered themselves wholly to him, never having believed into Jesus. And when those demons said that they had nothing to do with God, it's true, they hate God. They stand in opposition to God. They defy God. They openly rebel against God. And they get people to follow them doing these same things of hating God, defying God, rebelling against God, and they speak these words of rebellion. They're just like the ones, the kings of the earth, and it's described in Psalm 2, Psalm 2.2, where it says, the kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, against his Messiah, saying, let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. But when the demon said, we have nothing to do with you, in one sense, that's true. In another sense, that's entirely not true. Because it says in Jude 1.6, Jude 1.6, the angels which kept not their first estate, those are the demons, but left their habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains under the darkness of the judgment of the great day. 
It's also emphasized in 2 Peter 2.4, 2 Peter 2.4, for if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into the chains of darkness to be served unto judgment. What they have to do with the Lord Jesus is what every person has to do with the Lord Jesus who ignores God, who rebels against God. They are reserved unto judgment of the great day. And the demons are afraid of that judgment. They are very much afraid of it. It says in Hebrews 10.27, Hebrews 10.27, a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation which shall devour the adversaries. So the demons live in this constant state of fear with their ultimate judgment of eternal misery is looming over them all the time. It's always in their sight, which is why the demons spoke of the torment that awaited them in verse 29 when they said, art thou come here there to torment us before the time? They're constantly thinking about the time. They're constantly on their mind that we only have a limited time to roam the earth. There's gonna come a time when we will be put in eternal chains of darkness, as it says in Jude 1.6, as we said that. Now, the time that the demons are referring to when it's called this time of the judgment is the time of the judgment of the Messiah, when the Messiah will judge. And the Messiah spoke of that in John 5.22, John 5.22, when he said, the Father judgeth no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the Son. So the people who choose in life to ignore God, to ignore his so great salvation, they really are repeating the words in Matthew 8, 29, what have we to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of God? Now, there's two words in verse 28, and there's two words in verse 29 that reveal to us the issue of power. Verse 28 says the two words are no man. No man might pass by that way. In other words, no man was able to pass. Nobody could go by that. No man had power over these demons in, this, in these two people. It shows how man is utterly powerless when it comes to confronting demons. Man is completely weak against the powers of darkness. The demons have great powers. It can be seen in verse 30 when it says, and there was a good way off from them and heard of many swine feeding. So the devils besought him saying, if thou cast us out, suffer us to go away into the herd of swine. There was the herd of pigs and they were a long way away. And the demons asked the Lord to have permission to go into those pigs. And when the Lord said the one word, go, that long distance was no obstacle for them. Immediately, it says they were there. The demons had the power to instantly possess those pigs, even though they were a long ways away. It's what it says in Mark 5.13, Mark 5.13. Forthwith, Jesus gave them leave, and the unclean spirits went out and entered into the swine, and the herd ran violently in, down a deep place into the sea. There were about 2,000, and they were choked in the sea. So those are the two words that show us the power of the demons in verse 28. But then there's two words in verse 29 that shows the other side, and those two words in verse 29 are torment us, torment us. So verse 29, the demons are asking Jesus if he has come to torment them with his judgment. Shows how this shows the opposite. This shows how weak the demons are and the powers of darkness are against the Lord Jesus. The powers of darkness are powerless against the Lord Jesus. 
Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. That's P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. That's tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. For more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries.